there's often just this assumption that success means passing it to the next uh, generation and we will just continue farming. But the question needs to be asked, what is the purpose of our enterprise? What do we, what do we dream of for our children and our grandchildren? And what might get in the way of those dreams? So I think stepping back from the enterprise to ask what do we dream of for our family is the place to start. Welcome to Boots Off, Log On, a podcast where we talk all things farm business, a show about the business of farming, bringing you insights and wisdom from the leaders in farm business, helping you minimise risk and maximise return on all your hard work. I'm David, and I'll be your host for the show. G'day, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Boots Off, Log On. In this episode, I speak with Stuart Wesley, the Principal Consultant and Director at Oasis People and Culture. I first encountered Stuart at the Rural Edge Summit where he delivered a captivating talk on the complex and important process of succession planning that can have a significant impact on the business and the family. Stuart himself comes from a family business that has undergone succession process, giving him a valuable first-hand experience in the challenges involved. Although he didn't take over the family business, his passion for helping people and his belief in fostering commercial success and fulfilling family relationships have guided his career. Stuart works with families at an interpersonal level and believes that in family business discussions, clarity is kindness. During our conversation, we delve into several important topics, including the role of quantitative capital in enabling family prosperity deciding the purpose of your farm business and how it can best serve your family, at what point to involve the legal and accounting professions in the succession process, the importance of qualifications and competence in passing on the family business, and the valuable lessons that family enterprises can learn from other industries' approaches to succession planning and appointing qualified individuals. This conversation is thought-provoking and informative particularly for generational or intergenerational family businesses seeking guidance in their journey towards the next successful succession. Now over to Stuart. Welcome to the podcast, Stuart, and finally, great to meet you. Great to be here. Thanks, David. Hey, Stuart, a few months ago, um, I saw you speak at the Rural Edge Summit in um, Perth, Western Australia, and you talk, you, you did a keynote before a, a, a panel session, I think, from memory on farm uh, succession planning, and you cr- provided a bunch of insights onto the things we experience in um, succession, uh, family dysfunction, you know, the idea of the enterprise, the wealth, and that, you know, that mix of dysfunction and wealth and all the things that to do with, fa- with farming families or any family in business, really. So this is really what I want us to explore today on behalf of our listeners. But before we get into that, Stuart, how did you get to this place? I was listening to a little bit of your journey and, and reading your bio online. So how did you get into becoming a consultant, a coach for family businesses, you know? Yeah, thanks for asking the question. And and, and actually it's, it's like circling back to the beginning for me because I come from a family business background. My parents owned a, with, um, with other family members, owned a aluminium window business in the 70s and 80s that was pretty successful and until it wasn't, and uh, and then my dad started another business, and 
uh, in that business. It was a great little business, a smaller concern, but he um, employed my brother-in-law, which was a, you know, he was, he's a good guy, but it was a pretty difficult relationship. And and so really, it, you know, coming back to family business is like coming back to my roots, but it's come through a journey of, um, you know, I knew from the beginning I didn't want to make window, make and sell windows. Uh, as much as my, my dad wanted me to, he, he was pretty gracious about it and I knew that my work was with people. And in fact, they used to say to me, don't get into a business where there's stock because <laughs> all your profit sits out there in the, <laughs> sits out there in the factory in uh, glass and aluminium. So get into people and, and that was actually my bent anyway. And, and so that took me, uh, because I sort of have a faith background, uh, it took me into pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm which really at its heart is about people again as well. And I was always about just helping people, um, you know, be successful in their lives, you know, live, live good lives. And, um, but then in the early 2000s I discovered um, coaching and learning and development and that became just an area of great interest to me um, because I could engage more broadly out in the wider world and I really wanted wanted to do that and so I ended up leaving um, leaving pastoral ministry and starting in consulting um, for myself and it was really um, and how I got into ag was really uh, my cousin Doug Fitch who was the founder and CEO of Ag World he they were having some trouble with their executive team early on and uh, and he invited me to come and um, try and do something with them and that that turned into a, well, we still work with Ag World today and it's like 13, 14 years later, I think. So um, so that was the journey into Ag and family enterprise. You know, we got involved with wealthy families and um, farmers are wealthy families. So that's sort of the cycle that, that went on. Very good. So family succession, coaching people. So I, I, I've just been doing a, a few of our recent guests on the podcast have been doing everything from employment through to HR management to obviously. And as much as we'd like in business to talk about PL and balance sheets and budgets and all these things, at the end of the day, it still comes just down to people, especially the larger you get in business or the, and especially in farming, our farming customers tend to be much larger these days. So that, you know, the families, the employees. So succession, let's let, so this leads to succession. Why do you find succession is such a fraught, not so much topic, but actually thing to go through for nearly every family business? Yeah, it's a great, great question. Um, I think because I think there's people <laughs> <laughs> and and to get more serious about it, it's it's fraught because, you know, there is a relational dynamic that happens in families that is not present in the same way, in, you know, in a standard sort of, you know, commercial enterprise. There's there's that mix of, you know, I'm a father uh, with my sons but I might also be his boss. There's um, financial implications. There's there's the uh, the dreams I have for the enterprise and my children, and it and all gets mixed in uh, together. So I, th- I think it's just fraught because of all of that, but particularly the relational dynamics. Yeah, definitely. So what are the, um, with succession planning, you know, it's a really complex process and it has a significant, so what are the, and it has a significant impact 
one way or the other, whether it's done good, well or badly. So what are the most important questions do you think families should be asking themselves or even the probably the leaders of the current generation business should be asking themselves before em- embarking on the the difficult process of succession? It sounds like a really, this will sound like a really simple answer, but to me it's what's the purpose of our business? What are we what are we doing this for? And I think, you know, particularly farming, there's often, you know, it's generational, it's inter- often intergenerational, and there's often just this assumption that success means passing it to the next uh, generation and we will just continue farming. But the question needs to be asked, what, what is the purpose of our enterprise? What do, we, what do we dream of for our children and our grandchildren and, and what might get in the way of those dreams? So I think stepping back from the enterprise to ask what do we dream of for our family is the place to start. So it's really our vision and purpose and values. So we talk about that a lot in, I suppose, standard business stuff, the idea of purpose, vision, values, mission, those sorts of topics that are thrown around at a corporate level all the time. But but you, what you're saying, Stuart, is you want to – families to sit down and goes what is our vision for this farm for this family for myself before embarking on assuming one thing or another well i'd say there's a step before that actually david which is not what's our vision for this farm it's what do we what is the sort of life we want to live Mm. what what is the sort of life that i want my kids um to live and and things like even the, you know declining populations in regional areas, for example, you know that order as hard as that is to face, those questions need to be faced as well. You know, is that part of my if if like if farming populations in farming towns are going down, do I want my kids to be locked into that sort of um, environment? These are some of the questions that I think we need to honestly. Address and that's a step back from the farm to the life that we that we want to live. And you know, my dreams. That, you know, I might have dreams for my kids, but I ought to engage them in what their dreams are for their lives as as well. You know, and 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 so just have a conversation, and it'll be a series of conversations, obviously, around that sort of area. Do you think we could suffer that? We just assume that what you know, drives us to have started a business or we love farming or whatever business you're in, in this case farming, that we just naturally assume because I love it, my children are going to love it because they grew up in it. Is that, I suppose, a a dangerous assumption we can all make? I I think that's a very dangerous assumption and and we overlay our experience from when perhaps we were taking on the farm or, you know, entering into the business, whatever that business is, we overlay that and we say, well, that's how it'll be for our kids. And then there's even the ways we work. I mean, I have a, uh, um, I have four kids, but one of my sons runs his own business, Retick and Turf. I have a son-in-law who runs a plumbing business. And I, and I listen to them talk about their businesses and there are times that just, I just don't, I don't understand it, you know, because they talk about, um, They'll talk about, you know, I want lifestyle, I want balance and I want all this sort of stuff. And, like, from my generation, it's like I just want to get on and make this successful, you know. Mm-hmm. What's, what's wrong with you guys, you know? <laughs> like there's a – up the street from us there's a, there's a landscaping job that I told my son about and he didn't want to do it. And part of me is like, 
what? What's wrong with you? Get on and do it. You know, but there's a, there's a, he's been successful in what he's doing. There's a different ethos. And I think we need to tune in to each other and really listen to each other and be able to put aside or park our expectations to really listen to what our kids are saying. Yeah, and is there also this idea that this is a lot of unspoken things within families? Off air, we'll talk. I was telling you about a story where um, a guy I knew was helping another a a family friend of theirs um, with a troublesome succession issue, and he went and talked to all of the kids, through them individually, and discovered that they'd been going through a succession process with their parents for a year. And none of them actually wanted the farm, and um, but no one had ever asked them. But they were going through because they thought it was the right. They thought it was the right thing to do, and they thought that's what their father really wanted for them. So they were sort of accommodating him, and they didn't want to break his heart by saying we don't want to do this. So, is there something that from both the I suppose next generation saying, well, um, you know, we're not saying what we really want. In other words, we're going along with this. Yeah, I mean, there's a, the lovely thing about that story is the the care and concern that those kids had for their dad that they didn't want to they, they didn't want to disappoint him. Mm. Um, it's a it's, it's lovely that they weren't all about themselves that they actually were thinking about him and his needs and desires as well. Um, but of course, um, the you know they actually do need to be able to express to him. And even be able to deal with his displeasure uh, with them, what they really want, and 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 I think the the generation that's passing it on, you know, the starting point I think, David, is w- what are the assumptions I'm making? Mm. You know, it's a bit like you know the old illustration of um, you know fish don't know they're swimming in water mm. medium they've always been in, and so we can have assumptions that we're running that we have no awareness of that we're actually running it. And, and and that's why stepping back and even asking that question, those sort of questions is really important. And so creating space for that as well. So knowing that creating a safe space for the next generation coming on to actually to express those doubts or comments rather than um, so they feel that they can express themselves maybe. Yeah, and actually, just as you started saying that, it, that was the very word in my mind was safe space, you know, um, because there's all there's likely to be all sorts of fears around, you know, you know those taboo topics mm. in families. You know, if I say this, mum or dad's going to freak out, or and so those taboo topics often need to actually be put on the table, and not every family. Uh, maybe even most families uh, don't don't have the skill set to be able to navigate that well, and and so you get reactiveness. So there's a some of the preparation is the skill set that allows people to have those more difficult conversations. You said at the um, your keynote the other day, and I love this: the purpose of um, qualitative capital. Um, is to help the family flourish. Can you elaborate on that a bit more? If I quoted it correctly to start with, uh, yeah, the the idea that um, yeah, the, the the purpose of quantitative capital, in other words, the, the the purpose of the money, the finance, the asset, the balance sheet, is to enable the family to flourish. It sort of goes back to that sort of opening 
um, the comments we were making, it's, you know, and I'd ask, like, what is the value of money mm-hmm. if it doesn't do anything? <laughs> you know, what, mm-hmm. what, what is the value of it just sits in a bank account? Um, you know, you might have a really strong balance sheet, but what's the point of it if your family's not thriving and or the community around you is not thriving? So, so it's the idea of using money, you know, and responsibly, of course, to enable your family to live lives of meaning and purpose, you know, meaningful work. And, um, you know, like my family is not, we're not a, a particularly wealthy family and um, we haven't got significant wealth. But, I, you know, even on this point, I remember when um, that, that son that I mentioned earlier with the um, the retick and turf business. He was 19. He'd finished his trade as a chippy and he had an opportunity to go to South Africa for a year. And he's a very keen surfer. And so he had an opportunity to be part of a leadership training program with a group called um, Christian Surfers. And we we supported that with him. I mean, he, he paid for his airfares. And when we supported him that whole time he was over there, um, we were a little bit bemused how he left with one surfboard and came back with five, but he, he <laughs> <rest of> <laughs> Oh, yeah, because well, one on one would never do, you. No, that's right. But the, the point being that um, at that point we, we wanted to enable him to have an experience of, um, of another culture, of leadership, of getting involved. You know, he, he was teaching kids from townships how to surf and um, – how to read and and so this was a really incredible experience for him but it was about us using whatever financial means we had to enable that and so I think this idea of supporting the dreams of our children um, and, and that could involve providing you know coaches to them to help them navigate that path forward mm-hmm. you know that that time leaving school and you know, and starting out in university or a trade is often kind of fraught with, I don't know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So it might be providing people. It might be a, a philanthropic project that the family could do together. You know, I, I know one family that go to uh, one of the Asian companies, it might be Cambodia, and build, and together they build houses there. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they just help on projects building houses. So, so I think... Um, yeah, this is all about using the quantitative, the financial capital to enable next generations to to flourish and to grow and to have a diversity of experiences. Now, I will say it is not about just giving them a life of indulgence and that would be a mistake, you know, but it, but it is, and, and, you know, the question, is this gift going to help or harm? Mm-hmm. Uh, because not all financial gifts are helpful. Some of them are. Are harmful. So, not indulgence, but supporting our kids to be able to find meaning and purpose in their lives. And I would argue that if they come back to the farm having experienced some things out there, they're going to be far better placed to really take take that on. And it's going to vary from person to person, but as a as a general statement, you know, going out and finding your way in the world, being supported to do that. 
um, is really important. Has that answered your question? Yeah, well and truly. So it, it, it reminds me of a couple of things. One is this idea within, um, I've noticed since I moved to the city 20 years ago, they have this concept of family offices. It's when generally it's a post uh, business sale um, experience for my thing. So these families with substantial assets, instead of handing, say, a business over to, uh, a, I suppose, a child or whatever, they set up these family offices and they almost become private venture venture firms of the family. So if a family member wants to go and start a business, they would go to the family office as a form of startup funding to start their business. So this office does philanthropy, it does helps family members start businesses or, you know, it's like a, and and it's, and I see that in what you're saying, even with say in this case, a lot of our farmers have become um, quite large as well. And can that farm capital, if even if one or none people want to go farming, it's still a potential of way of helping people um, launch into possible careers or businesses or opportunities that they may not be able to experience otherwise. Yeah, I think that's, um yeah, that that is one one part of it, and family office will do that very effectively. I, I think the other part of kind of the family office um, mode of operating, if you like, is it's the bringing together of um, family members to be able to work together um, to make great decisions together to preserve and grow their financial capital. So, you know, and if you think about, it, let's say. Let's say, you know, a farmer sells out and it's worth $100 million. Mm -hmm. Um, That happens. It's a substantial amount of money. Um, That's going to be put into some sort of uh, legal vehicle, Mm -hmm. trust or or whatever, and then the children will actually become custodians of that. And so they need to work together to learn how do we effectively relate to each other, make decisions together around this um, this substantial amount of capital we've got. And then, of course, the next generation down, it's going to be cousins. And and, and so there's this ongoing need to be developing. And we, we would call this, and this comes out of the work of um, James Hughes, a, sort of a family wealth guru from the US, um, and, you know, building the human capital. Yep. Uh, building the social capital of the family becomes really important for its longevity through generations. Um, I can't tell you the number of times, David, I've heard, you know, there's conflict in a succession situation. Now, I was with one, was, I've been working with a family just this week, I've been with them, and, you know, there was conflict Um there's conflict now as they try and pass it on to the next generation. I say, what was it like when you moved away from your parents' farm? Oh, it's exactly the same. <laughs> and you you see these generation this generational thing of just conflict and difficulty around succession. So family offices can really um, be a part of you know, building the capacity to do the relational side well. So is that because we see? This is untouchable unit, which is the farm, and this has been traditional for generations. and And all the big stories are really the old English stories about you know the eldest son to the eldest son getting farms, estates, etc. And I um I learnt a little while ago that that was a deliberate tax ruling actually from the government in England to maintain the tax base to keep the estates large. So it was um 
but we still seem to have that culture within farming enterprises possibly the idea is this unit is an untouchable unit this land and it has to go to a single person do you think this can cause some of the angst that we we find within family farming families the notion that you know it, it has to go to one person yeah the, the notion that it has to be a complete unit and it has to go to one person and the others just have to be, um, man, you know, have to have some other form of, I don't know, capital allocation. Yeah, I think this this goes to the complexity of it, doesn't it? That that you know, they, these are complex negotiations that are not just financial; they're tied up in what people want to do with their lives and and all sorts of things like that. And I think we need to be more open minded. I know it's hard if there's particularly if there's a family history in farming, which there usually is. It's pretty hard to say, um, you know, what else could we do, you know? Um, but I think the question needs to be asked: What's going to serve us best going into the future? Is holding this at one as one asset going to do that, or do we actually need to um, chart a new course, which may or may not include, um, you know, being being in farming, these are but these are very hard questions to ask. Mm. Like they're they're emotionally challenging because often there's like a sense of um, responsibility to previous generations as well who built this up and we've been stewards this land in this community for generations and what now we're thinking about moving on really hard but I just I think. What what else can you do? Otherwise, you're going to force you're going to end up forcing someone, a child, to do something potentially they don't want to do. Yeah, and you talked about this goes to a point you mentioned um, at the event at the at Aspire. This really hard question: This is your fam farm toxic? Um, I don't know your exact quote, but is it is it toxic to our family? Um, and this could apply to any business, but in this case, we're talking farming. So, is the farm business or the farm toxic to our family. Um, can you explain that a little bit more and, and, and how that could be so? I think it's um, would you take poison and inject it into the uh, arm of one of your children? And the answer is if, you, mm. if you're healthy and functional, of course you wouldn't. Um, and, and I think it's yeah. does this business, does it provide nutrients to our family? You know, is it is it positive for our family, or does it just cause dysfunction and argument and fights and lack of trust and you know and tear us apart? I think that's that's when you start saying, for our family, this business is just the cost of having it is the health of our relationships and the, the enjoyment of each other as family. That's the cost of it, and and I think when it gets to that point, it. It is actually poisonous for the family um, and success could be, success in succession could actually just be fronting up to that and saying the best thing for our family is to liquidate the assets and 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 chart our own way, you know, and have some, we, we talk about together and apart and it's great to be together as a family but you also need a sense of being an apart and independent as well, and maybe that's just what we need to do. So I think our family business, the second one that my dad ran, was toxic. 
to our family, you know, to, to parts of our mm-hmm. family, not the whole family, but my dad needed to have hard conversations that he wasn't prepared to have because he didn't know what having those conversations with his son-in-law would do to his relationship with his daughter. There's a toxicity about that. And does this come down to sometimes it's just a function of we we fear what's beyond this? In other words, yes, we don't like where we are, um, whether that be, you know, on a farm or whether, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But we, yeah. you know, it's kind of like we, we're just used to this even though we don't like it. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you think of even, say, domestic violence situations and, you know, people will stay in those because they're used to them. You know, it's even though they don't like it, it's what I know, so I'm just going to stay. Yes, the fear of the unknown. What we're talking about here is not superficial, easy to resolve issues or easy to confront. This is really tough, and and that's why, you know, and I would have said at that conference that you heard me speak at, David, that you know, I feel like if if our family had had someone who had some of the knowledge that that say I have now, how how of benefit that would have been to help us, um, to, you know, basically to apply some medicine to the family so we could actually, you know, have the conversations and make the decisions together that need to be made. And, and this is what you were getting to really is, is it doesn't mean these family or the, these situations are toxic. It doesn't mean that you might have four children, they all want to be farmers and no one can think of anything better and, you know, what you're not saying is not that. It's just that you need some vehicle or some independent person or or some way of having those conversations so at least they've been had. So in other words, when we go into some sort of what is very difficult um, in time-consuming process of succession, that it's done with very open minds and hearts really is, is I think, what you're trying to say. Yeah, well, it's a family system. And every and, and so we we often in family systems theory we want to uh, you know there, there's always the problem person and if we could just fix that problem person everything would be okay um, but family systems theory said no everybody in the system is operating to take care of their own anxiety you know mm. their own concerns and and so families can sit down to have these conversations with really good intentions but then that predictable default reactiveness just starts showing up and and you and you know where it goes you know and so having this is where in these really important conversations having an outsider you know an outside professional be able to carefully gently um, skillfully help them navigate their way through these conversations and you know mediate some of those some of that reactiveness. I mean, I, I was just just thinking of a situation where we were doing a mediation in a farming family between a son and his parents, and there came a point where where I just said because the father was reacting, mm-hmm. and there came a point where I just said, "Hey, can we take a time out?" And I actually took the farmer for a walk, took the dad for a walk, and basically said, "Mate, you know, this is your son." When are you gonna are you gonna start acting like a father to your son? You know, to your late thirty year old, late thirties son. You know, what does that look like? And because it was heading in just this default direction of reactiveness, we knew where it was going. Mm-hmm. And so, 
having someone else enables them to see that with different eyes and to be able to um, intervene in inappropriate ways. And does this come down from all elements, Stuart? Like you also mentioned um, in your writing and in your talk the other day about this idea of, you know, um, helping build your family members. So uh, the, the probably the way I saw it is if if in a commercial business where there's no family uh, family members in place, you might have a, you know, a, a, a CEO succession process, let's call it that. Um, and so there'd be, you know, who's the right candidate? Have they got enough training? Or well, you found a young candidate within the business and you can say over the next five years they're going to be trained to take over and they need skills in finance and in leadership and everything. Is this sort of a, a thing that as as a, as a father or a mother or a current generation, we we need to not only do what you're saying, but also invest in them in that way to take over and always train them over a long period of time to build their skills so they can take over confidently and we're confident they can as well. I think that's a really just such an important part there and you're right in sort of more commercial setting, you know, in a normal business, you might have someone earmarked for a role and you give them an on-ramp, you give them a development on-ramp to get into that role. I mean, Actually, to be honest, what we often find is in other businesses is you'll take technically sound people and they'll get promoted into leadership positions expecting that they'll understand leadership because they're technically sound, yeah. you know, and it's just that that's probably why we have a business sort of dealing with that sort of <laughs> stuff. But I think, um, I, I think in these farming businesses, thinking about, you know, and again, it was a conversation this week with a um, the sixty early sixties dad who was saying, "Look, I don't, I just don't think my son's got it in these areas." Like that's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, "Well, yeah, he needs development, mm-hmm. and that that's just human. You know, he 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 hasn't just picked everything up by osmosis. He needs specific development in specific areas to be ready to really take this on and." So I think in family enterprises, David, you know, you described it perfectly. If someone's appointed to a position, you know, CEO, they're appointed to that because they've got the professional skill set to do that. But in family enterprise, often it's what can be because I carry the family name, I'm in that position. And and I think you've got to be super careful of that. There's a distinction here between ownership and management. So yeah, and they are they are different different issues. And, and and so you could be an owner, and you know you could put your kids into an ownership structure. But then when it comes to management, there's one in particular that really has invested in themselves. They've really shown interest. They've really developed themselves to provide management and leadership. They're quite different things that often get conflated together. I think um, uh, you probably would have read a book by Michael Gerber, for, I think from the 80s, I don't yeah. know, 80s or Michael's the E-Myth, and that was really the premise of the E-Myth really, wasn't it? This idea, this is the idea with startups really I think he was talking about, but it has parallels here, this idea that people with technical expertise, in this case farming, have entrepreneurial seizure, which means they are, well, because I'm a really good cropper or a livestock handler, I will be a good farmer, forgetting that all the hard bits is finance and people and 
and all the other parts of business which don't involve a particular expertise and and that's not that dissimilar from from succession is it so no it's a great it's a great pickup and just sort of a side issue but but just on all of that um i would put forward the notion some of your listeners will be in this situation where children get paid minimum wage or not even with the hope of what they'll get in the future you know the promise of what they'll get in the future and so you get 40 year olds that have not a cent to their name mm-hmm. in the hope that or the promise that they'll get the farm in the end and you know, I have a view that, you know, again, going back to ownership and operations, if you like, that as an as a someone working in the business, whatever the business is, and whether they're family member or not, they bring a commercial skill set that is credible in that industry and they get paid to the industry standard for whatever it is they're doing. Mm-hmm. Then there's the ownership piece. and. You know, as an owner, they might get distributions from a trust or profit distribution or whatever. That's a different issue. And that might happen for all the kids or, or the one that's managing might get a bonus, you know, whatever the, whatever they decide together. But I think it's really important on the operations side. There's a skill set that's credible and there's a salary that is consistent with industry standards. And that word, um, in um, in many cases, um, probably reduce the amount of com- um, what do you call it? tension points between also families that work together. Like if everyone's on a salary and they have to support themselves entirely on that salary, including you know their house on the coast and their boat and whatever they do, putting their kids through school, then then there can't be that you have this and I have that. And so everyone's sort of, like you said, independent but together. So they run the business together possibly, but they're all financially independent and can choose what to do with their own money really. Yeah, it goes to this idea of together and apart. You know, there's there's this piece where we are together running this enterprise, but as an adult with my own family, I also need independence to be able to change my own course. And and so this... um, this codependence and it can can emerge where where everyone's just trapped in gridlock um, because they don't have the freedom to really chart their own course. So these are, again, they're not easy issues to resolve, but they're yeah. And this is this is where accountants and lawyers can come in um, to help frame it up in really um, helpful ways. But it's often when you talk about accountants and lawyers, accountants and lawyers obviously have had long. Um, Involvement and succession, but but what you're talking about here is there's a before you get the incredibly important role of accountants and lawyers to enact whatever the family has decided to do is actually first to go through all the really hard bit is decide what you want to do and um, before you can actually approach it from either a financial or legal point of view is so is it some do we find sometimes as families we put the cart before the horse in this regard. Yeah, I think my concern would be that, you know, the lawyers and accountants serve and enable what the family's vision is, you know, what they want to do. They they enable that. And so they're, ab- they're absolutely crucial. You just don't want them driving. You don't want them driving the process. Mm. Now, they will, once the family's clear about what they want, they will inform about 
you know, what's legally possible and what's not legally possible mm-hmm. or what's financially possible or what's not. So there's the, the information they bring starts to shape things, but they're not the drivers. The driver is what the family ultimately wants and then the other professionals serve that. And, you know, that's, that's the role I play. It's not my job to come in and say, here's what you should do. It's my job to to help them understand what it is they want, and sometimes that's sort of hidden between layers of assumptions and hurt and arguments and all sorts. Of stuff. We had a, a client who really highlighted a great point to to me, and um, it was around this sort of advice, and and the advice was to her: this is the best, um, say, most profitable structure to for the business. In other words, tax structure, I assume, in this case. Um, and she said, yes, but it's the worst structure for my family. Um, and so she said, we actually had to make a deliberate choice between happy family or or more money. <laughs> um, and so we decided to go with a more inefficient, I suppose, profit structure so that we had a happier family. So, but, you know, until she articulated to me, uh, you know, we don't often see it like that, do we? We don't have to go just because this is the most efficient structure from a taxation or a profitable point of view, it may not work well for the people involved. Yeah, I love, I love what they've, uh, what, what, you know, that, that whole, whole story because, you know, there's this assumption and we, I think we carry this assumption culturally that we can easily carry, carry the assumption that, yeah, money's everything, you know, and whatever's, you know, whatever's financially the, the best, that's what we've got to do. And I would challenge that. I would, I got really challenged that, um, and say no, and, and so I love where that where that uh, person landed. We'll do a more inefficient thing financially for the sake of our family. Do you know what she um, she said? Actually, she goes, "You got to remember, David, that in in our mind is a really together family, or make great businesses, but families that are, are not together." Um, and happy, never make good businesses. So she says it makes good family sense and good business sense. Uh, I just couldn't say it any better than that. That is beautiful. Yeah. Um, So just to close up, um, Stuart, so I wanted to finish with a couple of questions with you. So the biggest misconception that you think people have around the roles that, say, coaching or consulting in this case have um, or any myths around it? Do you have any things that um, myths or misconceptions about the role that someone like you and, the, and others in the, in the industry play? Oh, there's actually a, probably a couple that come to mind, and um, one of them one of them is um, you know when I get when I get phone calls from farmers, it's always the wives mm-hmm. uh, who, who ring me, and the the blokes are usually sceptical. And, uh, and I, I often say, look, just, just let me meet him. Once he meets me, he'll be, he'll be at ease, you know, because there's this picture of, oh, what's this guy going to do? What's he going to find out about? He's going to lie on a couch. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, so often there's that, that misconception because coaching can be linked to counselling and therapy and I don't need that sort of stuff. But, you know, we all need... I need people in my life that I can talk to and unpack things with and get mm-hmm. their get their help and advice or just create a space for me to think things through. I mean, I, 
I, I just <laughs> I think that's so so important. So I think that's a misconception that there's something wrong with us if we need that sort of help. You know, we know we need a, an agronomist. We know we need a farm management advisor. You know, we know we need all those things, but we don't need a coach. You know, we can figure out all that. And that probably links to the second thing is that um, this whole idea of soft skills, you know, that the people stuff is the soft skills. I've got to say, David, that that comment just, that, that makes me sort of really, they're actually the skills that, they're the hard skills. They're the, it's the stuff that people find the most difficult to do. In fact, I was talking to a family business colleague, guy probably 15 years older than me, still working, and I said to him, oh, look, I'm pretty comfortable with the, um, with the human dynamics part, uh, you know, and if there's conflict, that's all right. You know, I'm pretty comfortable with all of that. And I wasn't promoting myself. I was actually about to go on and say, but I don't feel like I've got enough in this other area. And he stopped me and he said, Stuart, nobody says what you just said, that they're comfortable in that space. But um, And that's because it's hard. It's a hard space. So I guess that's the other misconception or myth, if you like, that soft yeah. skills are soft. They're hard. Yeah, there's two things I always find is the I have I find a, a similar one I hate, which is oh, it's not it's not it's not personal, it's business. And in my mind, business is only personal. It's very personal, and um, and also we're finding this with our clients now. We just did a podcast uh, a little while ago about employment, and one of the one of the challenges our businesses are finding our farm businesses is that as they're getting bigger. And when they're getting bigger, they're getting more and more employees and they're finding that almost the farming is the easy bit because now they have one or two or four or five employees. This is a skill set which is, and managing people is much harder than managing um, sheep, cattle or wheat um, and, it's a, and it's a pretty tough skill. <laughs> well, there's a, I can't remember, a, a guy called Walter Truett Anderson. He's a philosopher, I think. And we think about his words a lot. He says, organisations are fundamentally networks of conversations and relationships. And when you think about, you know, what happens day to day or season to season on a farm, yep, yep, there is the sitting out on tractors and doing what people do. But fundamentally it's this network of conversations and relationships is how everything actually happens. Yep. It's um, the I think um, the guys who wrote um, Daniel Carterman and uh, da- uh, and Eamon Savasky, I think who wrote Thinking Fast and Slow said one of the biggest problems we have as humans is we we um, have this illusion of rationality <laughs> that we don't really possess. Yeah, look, I'm just taking an objective view of this, which is just so <laughs> false. I'm never taking an objective view. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> So um, finally, Stuart, when you're not doing all this difficult peopling stuff, um, which you obviously have a natural talent for, how do you love to spend your time? Because I love to like, this idea that we get seen as you're a farmer or you're a coach or you're a whatever, but you forget we have these also these other parts of us that that def- that will not define us, but we enjoy that aren't involved in our work. So what are the parts of you that, don't involve your work, Stuart, that you're willing to share, that is. <laughs> Actually, um, I am one of those rare 
people. I think that, um, you know, sometimes I think about retiring, David, and, and not ready to, can't, can't afford to yet. And, uh, and then I think, well, what would I do if I retired? And I think, oh, I'd, I'd want to do this work. I just then I think well, I just wouldn't get paid for it because I'd be retired. <laughs> oh, I might as well just keep. <laughs> so the, what I'm saying there is, I actually feel very privileged to do the work I do because it's it falls into the, you know we we're talking earlier. It's meaningful work, you know. So so there's that. I'd kick off, but you know I have four adult adult children, and um, two of them are married. We're about to welcome our fifth grandchild in wow. um, June, and so we're really excited about that um my wife carolyn and i have been married for 33 years and and you know without getting all syrupy about it it's um yeah we're finding being empty nesters now it's just getting richer and better and and so we spend a lot of time together and we've actually developed a um a hobby around health and fitness and so mm-hmm. we, we work we work pretty um it's not work we enjoy we're just enjoying that journey of what can your body do as you age you know so rather than oh i'm 57 now i can't do this that and the other thing it's like what what can our bodies do as we age and how can we nurture that so that that takes up that's a real hobby i'll tell you what that's probably the that's probably the most that is probably the most healthy hobby that i've ever come across so um, health and fitness as a hobby, you can't go wrong with that one. Well, I just it was not that long ago I realised someone asked me my hobbies and I was like, actually, that I really find that to be, I'm interested in all of that, you know. And um, a couple of weeks ago I had a um, a stent put in my right coronary artery so that um, that brought it home um, mm. even, even more. Uh, that's probably a good hobby but mostly – and again, we just we just like connecting with people and trying to be a helpful presence in in people's lives, and you know, so we're not that complicated. <laughs> um, it's really about family and people, and and you know, trying to really trying to do good in the world would really be what it's about for us. Well, on that note, Stuart, thank you very much, and. Um, and I hope all of you um, got a lot of value out of Stuart because I really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you, Stuart. Thank you, David. And thanks to all your listeners. Thanks again for listening to Boots Off Log On. Our aim with this podcast is to give you access to the best minds in agricultural business and to help your farm business thrive. So if you have any feedback or suggestions for the podcast, including people you believe I should interview, please email bootsofflogon at agrimaster.com.au. If you like this episode, please take time to share it on social media or even better, directly with at least one friend today. And take the time to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as it really helps us reach more farm businesses like you. As always, if you'd like to know more about AgriMaster farm business management software and services, you can find us at agrimaster.com.au. I look forward to speaking to you next time. Thank you.